we started, it was just science fiction. But we dreamed, we planned, we built. Though we could not see, we plunged through the dark and took that spark of a dream and put it to the test. We stepped out into the unknown. We didn't know. We only chose to believe. Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? All right. Hey, just want to do a real quick shout out to our Santan campus, to our Scottsdale campus. Last night, our Santan campus, in cooperation with the whole Queen Creek area, hosted a really cool Harvest Festival type event. They had tons and tons and tons of people. So they've already kind of led the way in us giving a hug to our communities. And so now Scottsdale and then the Chandler campus, we're going to follow up with that. And I just encourage you, man, come be part of this. It's just amazing to see families having an amazing time. And here's the cool part, meeting Christians and figuring out we're not as weird as they thought, okay? So it's, it's a good thing. So come be part of it. Give some candy in Jesus' name. Jazz some kids up with calories and, you know, it's a good thing, okay? Um, but be part of it. All right, so we're in the middle of a series uh, that we're calling Hard to Believe. And we said, look, 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 look. Let's, just be, let's just be honest, because there are some things in our Christian faith that are kind of hard to believe. When you and I tell our friends, no, I really do believe that. I believe a whale swallowed a man and spit him up three days later and he was alive. I, I when we tell people, they go, wow. I mean, wow, that's, that's kind of hard to believe. And we said, so let's just go after some of that. Let's talk about it. Let's see why we've landed where we've landed on that and, and just be honest about it and maybe even gain some confidence in it. So we started the first week and just said, hey, is it reasonable as Christians to believe that the Bible's accurate, that it's true, and that God actually authored the Bible and it's without mistake. And uh, if you are still struggling with that, if you're trying to figure that out, I just encourage you, go back, watch that message. I think it's going to nudge you in the right direction. It's going to help answer some questions and maybe some hesitations that you've had in your life maybe about Scripture. Last week, we talked about this idea of, you know, Christians sometimes say, hey, Jesus is the only way. How arrogant is that? For you and I to say, we're the only ones that figured this out. Everybody else is wrong, and we're the only ones that have the right way to get to heaven. And what we discovered last week is, is that uh, in our lives, something broke. And there's only one person who knows how to fix the broken thing, and it is Jesus, which makes him the only way, which isn't about being arrogant, it's about being helpful. If you found something that fixes what's broken and you tell others about it, that's helpful, that's not arrogance right? And so this week we're just going to talk about uh, the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and just go, I mean, you know, is that really reasonable? I mean, the idea that there is some supreme being who is so powerful, so intelligent, that he literally, think about this, spoke. He spoke and things that did not exist suddenly existed. That he's so strong that literally the universe is we, was called into existence by his words. I mean, that's kind of crazy. And then you want to make it worse. He does this in six days, guys. I mean, in six days, he pulls this thing off. I mean, let's just be honest. 
Uh, that, that sounds a little bit on the unbelievable side. And then you and I attend university or we attend our science class sophomore year of high school, and you, all of a sudden you've got professors and scientists in there going, guys, you realize there's mounds of evidence against this. You, you realize that uh, we date the earth and the earth is millions and millions of years old and we've got all sorts of evidence that says that uh, evolution is how this world formed and then you and I are all coming back and going, well, wait a minute, is God an evolutionist? You know, maybe, maybe he made the microbe and, you know, just kind of sat back for the millions of years and watched it happen and so he started it, but, it, you know, it wasn't six days. It gets confusing, doesn't it? And, and it, gets, it gets a little hard to believe, and it becomes a struggle. But what if? What, what if the things that have been most confusing to us have been the hardest part to struggle to us, that if we actually just took a few moments and considered the opposing theories, if we just peeled back the veneer of the conversation and truly took a moment, looked inside, we'd go, oh, my goodness. Uh, you realize one of those views is completely untenable that one of those views is so deeply flawed that it cannot possibly be true if we simply talked about it for a few minutes. And, and look, here's the deal, and, and, and I'm guessing that most of you in the room can probably guess which side of uh, this conversation I uh, would land on as a pastor uh, on the deal. And, and so I'm just going to say to you from the very beginning, I'm probably going to bother you a little bit today uh, if, if you're somebody who is fully bought into an evolutionary model of this world. I, I'm probably going to challenge you on a couple things. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to hear some things out of my mouth and you're going to go, man, I just think he's stupid. I just think he's dumb, dumb, dumb for even believing that. So here's what I'm going to challenge you back uh, in this moment if that happens. Take notes. Uh, look at the things that I've asked you to consider as we process this through today. And then if you have bona fide scientific evidence that disproves what we talked to, then send it to me in an email. And I'll have the integrity to get up publicly and apologize for what I've said today. I'll do that, okay? But rather than getting angry, rather than getting mad, would you have the integrity to go do your research before you throw the rocks? Okay, so that's all I'm asking. We're just going to process a little bit today, see where we land. I think Christians are going to walk out of here with a confidence in maybe in the first couple chapters of Genesis that they've never had before. So here we go. Grab your Bibles. We're going to the book of Genesis to where all the controversy begins. Uh, It's Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what I'll tell you. This is the easiest verse in the Bible you're ever going to find in one of my sermons. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, here's what you need to know as you're going there. Uh, Christians are really not as hung up on dates and age of the earth and how old are rocks as many people might suppose uh, that we are. Uh, Let me explain to you why. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth now, the earth was formless and void. Matter of fact, the Hebrew there says, wohu to bohu. It just says it was kind of a useless glob. Uh, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, so there was water, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, Genesis 1 verse 1 describes the world here, uh, and it possibly isn't shaped quite as nicely as it is right now because it says it's kind of blobby and formless and void. It says there's water there, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Verse 2, and God said, 
Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So let me ask you a question. On which day did God create the earth? On which day did God create the earth? It says he created the earth in the beginning. When's the beginning? Actually, the beginning just means sometime after the start of the beginning. Right? Matter of fact, watch this. You ready? If you read the rest of the first chapter of Genesis, as God begins every single day, he begins with this phrase, and God said... uh, verse 3, and God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 8, and God said, verse 14, and God said, verse 20, and God said, verse 24, on each of the days of creation. So on which day did he create the world? In the beginning, and apparently before the first day. So here's what theologians have wondered and surmised. You ready for this? In Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about the fall of Satan. And here's what we know about the fall of Satan. The fall of Satan has to happen before the fall of man. Does that make sense? Because Satan was there tempting man, right? Man's created on the sixth day. So Satan's going to fall somewhere previous to this period of time. We don't know exactly where it's somewhere. But here's the interesting thing. In Ezekiel chapter 28, talking about the fall of Satan, it says to Satan, how are you cast out from the mountain of God? Well, where was the mountain of God? And what some theologians have surmised is that the earth was originally created for the angels. That at the fall of Satan, the earth is destroyed. Wohu to bohu. And that it sits there for a period of time that we don't know. We don't know for sure until God then decides to remake the world for man. Hence, the rest of Genesis chapter 1. Now, we don't know this for sure. I'm just saying, you and I don't care how old a rock is. Because Genesis already told us you might end up with some really, really, really old rocks, depending on when all of that first, when the beginning began. In the beginning. Of the beginning. Okay, all right. Here's the second part. Uh, Scientists will come back to you and they'll say, well, here's the other problem. Uh, There are really, really old fossils. There are really, really, really old fossils. And yet, you and I, again, don't necessarily care very much. Here's how you date a fossil. It's a method called carbon-14, okay? And it's actually a pretty good theory. It just doesn't work very well. Uh, Here's the theory of carbon-14. Carbon-14 says, okay, so everything that's here on the earth, so whether it's a plant, that's a tree. By the way, that's not a nubby hand. That's a tree. And uh, animals... Okay, so when, you know, on animals on the earth, the thing is, we're all affected by sunlight. We all receive sunlight. Uh, that's why we all get sunburns. We eat things like plants that have been, you know, have absorbed uh, sunlight and hence radiation. So the reality is in every single living thing on the earth right now, there is a certain level of radiation that we just all have intuitively, it's part of being existent. When you die, you stop absorbing radiation. So here's how you measure how old something is. Radiation breaks down in half-life, and as it does, it forms carbon. 
So you measure how little radiation is left and how much carbon is formed, and you get the age of a fossil. It's a great theory, assuming that the earth has always been the same way that it is now. The problem is Genesis told us that the earth has not always been the same way that it is now. Go back to the passage. Starting in verse 6, and watch because I guarantee you've read over this a hundred times and many of us never caught it. You ready? Verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters. Some of your passages say an expanse. Some of them say a firmament, okay? It's a gap. Let there be a gap, okay? And God said, let there be a gap between the waters to separate the water from the water. Now, most of us, when we read that, we thought, oh, well, that's the land. He's just talking about there's, you know, there's continents and then there's water on one side and water on the other side. But that's not what it says here. Listen real closely. Here's what it says. So God made the vault, the gap, and he separated the water under the vault, under the gap, from the water above it. And so it was, and he called the vault, he called the gap what? What do you call it? Sky, heaven. So watch this, watch this. If you get this right, then it says there's water down here, but now there's a gap, and on top of the gap is this ring of water all the way around the earth, pre-flood, antediluvian. So watch this. So now the sun is shining, it's sending down its rays, but guess what the rays are doing? They're hitting the water that surrounds the earth. How many of you have ever gone to the lake and ridden in an inner tube on the lake for an hour? What happens? You cook. You cook because this is the ancient version of a microwave, okay? Because what happens, the sun rays hit that water and immediately begin to bounce back and reflect off. So imagine an earth that Scripture just described and said was surrounded by a ring of water, which means, think about this. Here's the thing, you would have a greenhouse effect, and not in a bad way. This would be a good greenhouse. I mean, the entire earth would be a constant temperature. You wouldn't have a north pole and a south pole freezing over. Everything would be covered with vegetation. It's an incredible place uh, to live pre-flood. And then you have the flood. These waters now come down. You have much less land mass than you did pre-flood, post-flood. Hence why all the scientists keep talking about continental drift and separation. Well, yeah, you had a lot bigger land mass before the flood than you do after the flood. And isn't it interesting that Scripture already told you that in the first few verses? before you even ask the question. Now, here's the deal. Some of you go, well, I'm not sure I believe in a flood. You do, you believe in a flood. You just didn't know it. How many of you in this room drive cars? You believe in a flood. You just, you believe in the flood. Let me, let me tell you why. Anybody know how you get oil? How do you get oil? Where does oil come from? Oil comes from decaying Plants and bodies of animals. Isn't that gross? So here, here's, here's what happens. So in order to get oil, you has to have to have a massive deposit of dead animals and dead plants. All in one location, almost instantaneously. Here's why. Look, look, look. Because if it happened over time, then all of them would just simply shrivel up, die up, and rot away. 
So you've got to get all of this deposited in an almost instantaneous moment, and then you have to cover it over with massive amounts of soot, massive amounts of soil, massive amounts of, of liquid earth to do it, because what has to happen, this has to be so heavy and cause so much pressure that it eventually then produces heat, and as all of these trapped animals and plants that don't have oxygen to them begin to decay, they form oil. You explain to me how across the face of the earth we have thousands upon thousands of massive lakes of decaying animals and plants instantly covered over by huge volumes of earth and soot without a flood. If you've ever driven a car, you believe in the flood. Hey, where do we get coal? Where, where do you and I get You realize the process in which you and I get coal is almost exactly the same process. Coal forms when you have massive amounts of plant matter. Those are plants. Okay? Okay. That gets covered over by tons, again, of soot. Uh, coming over the top of them, water, water and soil coming over the top. Just not as much, not as heavy a volume as what happened in oil deposits so that you never end up with the same level of pressure and you don't end up with quite as much heat. And then these plants, as they decay outside of oxygen, produce coal. If you've ever turned on a light in your house and the power for the light in your house was generated by a coal power plant, you believe in the flood. Answer me this, how come there are huge coal deposits in the North Pole? Think about it, if the earth has always been the way that it is, if there is no flood, if there is no, if that's never changed, explain to me huge volumes of plant matter trapped and producing and turned into coal on the North Pole. It's because pre-flood, you had a greenhouse effect and you believe in the flood, okay? All right, so you just need to know, Christians are not as hung up on dating and time. We're okay. We, we also probably suspect that this earth has, has some age to it. But here's the thing, if you ascribe to an evolutionary theory of the world, that is the fundamental, and get this, it is a fundamental question that evolutionists cannot answer. And the problem is, this question is so critical to the theory that to have it unanswered hemorrhages the theory. The theory is implausible when you can't answer this question. And the question is simply this, where are the transitional forms? Where are the transitional forms? Okay. So you get fossils. <laughs> so we keep talking about stuff getting covered over quickly and being formed, and fossils, again, very similar story. I'm going to argue that a lot of fossils, not all of them, but a lot of fossils probably form during the flood. Massive amounts of dirt and soot covering over a living animal, then beginning to form rock, and now you have the preservation of the bone because without that soil coming over the top, without the absence of oxygen, without the moisture eventually being removed, then all those bones erode. And yet, you and I have zillions, millions and millions of fossils. So these are actually fossils that I have in my uh, office. I love fossils. Uh, I'm going to suggest to you because fossils actually teach creation. Fossils don't lie because, by the way, fossils are in stone. 
You'll get that later. You'll, you'll catch, you'll go, wow, that was, rare. that was pretty cute. That was good. All right, so anyways, these are some of the fossils from my office. So this is, this is actually the tooth of a megalodon shark. So we're talking massive, massive shark uh, that has lived in the past, especially when you realize that the tooth of a great white is about that big. So th this guy was massive, massive, massive. Uh, this is the tooth of a stegosaurus. Uh, a stegosaurus is a huge, huge dinosaur that was probably more violent and larger than a T-Rex. So if you're a kid, man, this is like Halloween, all, right, all over the place. Um, I don't know if you can see, this is the jawbone of a small dinosaur that was probably about the size of a dog. This is a trolobite. Man, there's trolobites everywhere. You can, you can get trolobite fossils all over the place. This one may be the coolest one, especially for the boys in the room. Uh, this is coprolite. This is dinosaur poop. How cool is that, right? I mean, how cool? You just like rock in your room and you go, no, it's dinosaur poop. I mean, that's just cool on the deal. And, and it's not that expensive. You can, buy the, you can buy that for your kid for Christmas, you know, dinosaur poop. And then... And then uh, this one's probably my favorite. This is, this is the jawbone of a dinosaur coming, and then you can actually see, you know, the teeth coming off the dinosaur right there. I mean, just cool stuff. And, and here's, there's fossils, man. There's fossils everywhere, and fossils don't lie because fossils are in stone. So here's the deal, and here's what you need to understand about the conversation. The theory of evolution and the theory of creationism are so absolutely different fundamentally that as you tell the story, the fossil record will be absolutely different depending on which one's true. So if you ascribe to the theory of evolution, then somewhere there's a little amoeba that's floating in some water. Now, we're not sure where the amoeba came from, and we're not sure where the water came from, but they're there. It's, 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 they're there. It's good. And then um, as that amoeba is there floating in the water, uh, one day it forgets to roll over. That wasn't hard because it didn't have any legs to roll over with anyways. So it forgets to roll over. The sun shines on it too long, and it forms a blister. Now, ironically, uh, that blister then begins to heal. But over time, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of amoebas forgetting to roll over, forming millions and millions of blisters, and accidentally, you ready for this? This is so cool. Accidentally, one of the blisters formed an eye. Isn't that neat? It just, it, just, it just formed an eye. It formed a cornea. It formed a retina. It, form, it formed all the fluid inside. It formed all the muscles that you need to control it. But it just, it, it, by random chance, one of the blisters formed an eye, which is really interesting because think about how many blisters you and I've had. Can you imagine one day you're like, dude, you're looking back at me, man. I'm, wow. Because you, you get, that's the reasonable way to form an eye. Now, uh, the amoeba didn't stay where it was. The amoeba uh, ended up forming to be a fish. Now, here's the incredible part of this. This took millions of years. So, you've got amoebas over the course of millions of years that are getting little flippers. They're adding flippers to their amoeba bodies that don't work because they're forming, right? It's just a good idea that's not formed. And so, now you've got a, a, amoebas, right? And then pretty soon they get better flippers, and now they're forming gills, and they're forming scales, and they're forming fins. But here's the thing you need to know. This happens randomly, by accident, over millions of years. So here's the thing about this. There should be millions of fossilized amoeba flipper fish, all in different stages of transition to becoming a fish, millions of them. Because evolution would have generated millions of these fossils. 
The fish didn't stay where they were. The fish actually became amphibians because the fish weren't happy staying in the water, and so they became, you know, these little amphibian things that reptile would kind of come out of the water, and they started losing their gills and started developing lungs. But here's the cool part about it. It took them millions of years to do this, and so there's all sorts of fish amphibians out there with, that are, you know, in process all along the way. Interestingly enough, now that they get on dry ground, boy, you get all sorts of forks because now you've got, you've got some of these dropping their scales and they're growing fur and they're becoming mammals instead of reptiles and they're giving live birth, they're young, and somehow they figure out how to stop doing eggs. And then you've got others that lose their legs and they become snakes and they start crawling around because apparently the legs didn't, didn't I don't know, they just stopped using the legs. But here's the cool part. This takes millions of years, so you have millions of transitions, which would mean you have millions of transitional fossils. You should be able to take fossil after fossil and literally just line up little nubby-legged fish becoming millions of fossils. Anybody know where you get birds? Anybody know where birds come from in the evolutionary model? Snakes. Snakes became birds. Because, of course, you know, birds have tiny little bones and snakes have tiny little bones, and so it's an obvious, you know, place, but, so you have millions of snakes becoming, and here's how this works, okay, you're going to think I'm kidding you, but I'm telling you, this is where you, this is how you get a, bird, a snake to turn into a bird. Snakes crawled up in trees, and they fell out of the tree, and when they fell out of the tree, it hurt their tummy, and so with it, no, I'm telling, I'm not exact, this is how you get birds. Your parents told you it was storks that bring you babies. I'm telling you, it's snakes that bring you birds. And so they hurt their tummies. And think about this. Without the intelligence of the snake to have enough intelligence to decide it needs wings, let alone decide the, design the wings, let alone the capacity to turn scales into feathers, somehow randomly by chance, this all happened over millions of evolutionary chances that snakes then became birds, which is really cool because it's so obvious because you would have millions of transitional fossils of snake robins <laughs> uh, You would just have them, and it would be so obvious. Anybody know where whales came from? Anybody know? No, silly. No birds for whales. Cows. Cows, because you've seen so many cows go swimming, right? And so over millions of years, cows taking swimming lessons began to lose their hooves and they turned into uh, flippers. Here's the cool part. Here's the part that always gets me. And their nostrils moved up their head and became blowholes in the back. I mean, that is that remarkable what evolution can do if you give it enough tries and enough random chances. I mean, this is, this is cool stuff. And then you, here's the thing, recently they came back, and I don't know why they changed their mind and decided, they decided it wasn't cows, they decided it was hyenas. So swimming hyenas became whales. Guys, this is a great story. This is a great story. But here's the thing, and here's what you got to get. If the story's true, then you and I would, would just, we would have to waffle to the evidence because there would be millions of transitions. You would line up the little fish becoming reptiles and the reptiles becoming, and you could just line up the fossils and prove the theory as being true. It would be undeniably true. Now, what does Scripture say about creation? Go back to Genesis. Go with me to verse 20. 
Here's what it says. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly from the earth across the vault of the sky. So God exalted the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with the water teams that moves about them according to their, what's the next word? Kind. Which simply means this. Scripture said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't have uh, snakes becoming birds. Snakes give birth to snakes. Birds give birth to birds. Now, can you have, can you have alterations? Yeah, you can, have, you can have big dogs and little dogs and long-legged dogs and short-legged, yes, but it's still a dog. Dogs do not give birth to cats, which is a good thing because I'd have to shoot my dog, okay? So I'm just… <laughs> Okay? After their kind. Okay? Back to the passage. And every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and increase in the number, and fill the water of the seas, and all the birds increased on the earth. And there was evening and morning the fifth day, and God said that the land produced living creatures according to their kind, and the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And so it was, and God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Now, guys, 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 here's the deal. Here's why this is such an easy conversation. You realize the Genesis story is antithetical to this story. It says, you're going to have fish. You're just not going to have anything in between. You're going to have reptiles. You're just not going to have anything in between. You're going to have snakes. You're just not going to have anything in between. You're going to have amoebas. You're just not going to have anything. It's everything after its kind. And you ready for this? And the fossil record will prove one of the stories true and the other one false because the fossil record doesn't lie because the fossil record is in stone. Now, Darwin actually knew this when he proposed his theory of evolution. Here's what Darwin said about the fossil record. Geology assuredly does not reveal, ready, does not reveal any finely graduated organic chain, does not reveal any of these transitional forms. And perhaps, you ready for this? At least he's honest. This is the most obvious and gravest objection that can be urged against my theory. But then Darwin comes back and says, well, here, here's what I think is happening. The reason we can't find all these millions and millions and millions of fossils is we just don't have enough fossils. For some reason, the only fossils we find are these. But that's just an accident because we don't have enough fossils and we probably never will, was Darwin's theory. This explanation lies, as I believe, in the extreme imperfection of the geological record. So Darwin said, I don't know that we'll ever prove this, we just don't have enough fossils. <laughs> you ready? David Rupp, curator of the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, underscores this fact. We are now about 120 years after Darwin, and the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have, ready, a quarter million fossil species. Not a quarter million fossils, a quarter million species after their kind. But the situation hasn't changed much. We have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we did in Darwin's time. Now let me tell you, he's being generous to himself. Because guess how many transitional fossils he has? 
None. None. And he's saying, well, we have fewer now than we do. You know why he has fewer now than he did then? Because Darwin actually pointed to a couple of fossils, says that's a transitional form, and now they realize, no, it's not. It's a species. Colin Patterson, senior paleontologist of the prestigious British Museum of Natural History, which houses, ready, the world's largest fossil collection. 60 million specimens. 60 million I'm looking for one transitional form. 60 million specimens confessed. If I knew of any, any evolutionary transitions, fossils or living, I would certainly have included them in my book, Evolution. He wrote a book about evolution. He is the curator of the museum that has the world's largest fossil collection. And he says, if I knew a single transitional form, his statement underscores the fact that the fossil record is an embarrassment to evolutionists. No verifiable transitions from one species to another have yet been found. That's it. Guys, guys, if this is true, not finding transitional fossils is impossible. If this is true, you won't find any. Newsweek magazine, because it's a Christian magazine. <clears throat> Newsweek magazine center, summarizes the sentiments of leading evolutionists gathered together at a conference in Chicago as follows. Evidence from fossils now points overwhelmingly away from the classical Darwinism which most Americans learned in high school. Rather than becoming creationists, however, evolutionists have simply become more creative. Now, because you're going to sit there and go, Lynn, you're cherry-picking. You're cherry you, you went and found a couple things that support you. You pulled them out of context. That's what you're doing. So here's an interesting interview. A Christian went to uh, several universities. He went to USC. He went to UCLA. Found the professors who were the heads of their departments teaching evolution and said to them, give me, give me one transition. You should have millions. Give me one transition. These are the guys who teach it. You'll be interested. I'm just asking, what does it mean that the guys who are calling us all dummies can't give one verifiable example? When, if the theory is true, there should be millions of undeniable examples of transitional forms. And yet, what they're having to concede is that the fossil record literally recounts the story of creation. And so really, what's an argument here, guys, if you even think, let's just be, let's just be simple about it. We're, we're arguing, what, what is, what's the more reasonable way for an incredibly complex, incredibly immense universe to form? What's the best way to form a universe, form a world, form life. And on the one side, you've got the argument that it takes intelligence, it takes a designer, it takes a creator to take something and make something of that level of complexity. And then on the other side, you have, no, 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 that's not reasonable. The most reasonable way to, fo to form something with high complexity and all sorts of intricacy is random chance. And yet, guys, here's the deal. You would never accept this explanation about anything else. Imagine with me for a minute that you and I are on a tour together. We're walking across 
an isolated desert. And I say to you while we're on the walk, he realized you, you are really, really, really in for a treat because no human being has ever walked across the patch of desert that you and I are about to walk across. You're the first human to ever be here. And you go, well, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I'm going to document the moment. I'm taking a few pictures because I'm the first human to ever be here. And as we're walking along, uh, you notice out in the distance uh, a little flash of light. You walk over to the flash of light, and you pick up a watch. And you come back to me and you go, dude… Uh, you told me I was the first human to ever walk across this patch of ground. Here's a watch. And I go, silly human. You don't understand. There's never been a human being here before. Uh, that watch formed by random chance. <laughs> what? No, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You go, Lynn, there's a crystal. There's a crystal on this watch that is perfectly smooth, perfectly formed. How did the crystal get there? And I go, See, that's where you don't understand science. You realize sand is silica and glass is formed by silica. And so apparently over randomly over amount of time, enough heat, enough focus came down and formed the crystal. You go, Lynn, it takes 2,000 degrees Celsius to form glass. That's impossible in nature. And I go, well, apparently the furnace formed first and then the glass randomly. And I go, well, Lynn, but there's a, there's a steel case around the watch, a steel case. How did that happen? Well, here's what you don't understand. Winds came in blue. The inert material that wasn't necessary for the steel case blew away, but the heavier metallic parts stayed together. And then apparently the same furnace that formed the glass ended up forming the steel case. And that just randomly happened over time because you give anything enough time, it can happen. And you go, but Lynn, the thing has a brain on the inside. It's telling me the right date and time and my dentist appointment next month. How's it doing that? And you go, you don't understand how many flawed calendars we had before we had that calendar. It just, over time, we happened to get your calendar right. It just happened. And you go, Lynn, it says, I watch on the case. And I go, yes, and again, here's what you don't understand, rodents. Rodents walked up to the case and clawed it with their claws and just happened to form the word I watch. You should have seen how many misspellings we had before this. And you go, Lynn, it's got a leather band. I know after the rodent wrote on the case, he died. And he made the leather band. And if I, told, if I even tried to tell you that story of random creation of a watch, you would tell me that I was absurd and guys, I'm just going to tell you, your DNA is massively more complex than that watch. And yet you'll believe that it happened randomly without intelligent design and a creator to form it? That's silly. You tell me who's not thinking. It's interesting. David said this about creation. It's Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. You don't need to go there. I'll just read this to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. You know what it's saying? If you would simply pause and look at the creation that you're in and the world that you're in, you would know that there had to be a creator for this because it's declaring it over and over again by a world that spends just the right distance from the sun, has four seasons, has the right amount of humidity and the right amount of rainfall for you and I to have seasonal crops. Are you kidding me? That happened on accident. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Day after day, David said, you're in the middle of a conversation that simply says God is real. 
Now, here's, here's what I'm just going to toss to you guys. This conversation is not a conversation about science. I wish it were. It's not. It's a conversation about accountability. Remember in the quotes I gave you, it said, even when faced with the facts that, that evolution was un, undefendable, rather than moving toward creation, they moved toward creativity. Did you notice in the video, one of the first statements that the professor made is, Darwinian evolution has given us an answer for why we can have a world without a supernatural source. This isn't about conversation about science. It's a conversation about deity. And it gives men and women, when they can say, hey, I believe in an evolutionary model, they then don't have to have a God. So guess who gets to be the God of their lives in the absence of the God? They themselves. This is a theological discussion. It's about the religion of Christianity and faith against the religion of evolution. It's a theological conversation. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know, I know, I know. I know I bothered some of you. I know I've pushed some of you. I know some of you are going, I'm going to go ask my professor. Go ask your professor and then write me the email. But here's what I'm going to ask you. Show me the transitional form because it's an untenable view without the transitional forms. And so show them to me. Write them on the email. We'll have a discussion. I'll apologize. But if you can't, can I suggest that you're stuck with a creator? And if you're stuck with a creator, <laughs> if you're stuck with a creator, you better figure out what he wants and who he is and what he's trying to say to you. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you. Thank you that the heavens declare that you are real. Thank you. Thank you that forever. There is a conversation going on that says, I am here, I made you, I formed you, and I want to have a conversation with you. And God, I'm just asking for those in the room that are struggling right now, those who are probably a little angry with me, that they take the time to think, they take the time to be honest about the objections that I've raised, and just, just, just maybe get a glimpse of you. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.